Welcome to Astoria Apothecary, a podcast filled with medicinal and healing stories. My name is Nana Tomova, and I'm a storyteller and a pharmacist, and stories and medicines which I dispense. In this podcast, you will find my prescriptions of stories for the body, mind, heart, and soul. So I invite you to join me as we enter the healing world of stories together. everyone, welcome to the Story Apothecary, another story. I hope you've had a good few weeks, a good month, whenever it was that you last joined in. If this is your first time, then a very, very warm welcome into this space of calm, a space of medicinal stories. A balm for the soul. We are approaching winter. There's been snow in some places. Not where I am, I don't get to see the snow very often. But the days are definitely getting much shorter and greyer. And I'm trying to embrace this change as much as possible. It isn't always easy. I'm definitely a person of the summer, of the spring. But I know that winter carries many gifts. For the winter solstice this year, I'll be telling stories on the 21st of December alongside Musician in Feathers and have a beautiful collaboration. Slavic stories for the winter solstice. I hope you'll be able to join us. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Now today's story is from England. I'm not sure if I've told a story from England in this podcast yet. It is from Cambridgeshire and it is a story called The Seventh Swan. It's a really powerful story. A story of hardship. A story of violence. A story of strength, community, care, femininity. So much in one story, of course. So let me tell you it. The seventh one.
The nights were getting longer, the days shorter. Grayness seeped upon the land. Sunsets to the west, bright, colourful, heavy. It was in a day just like this, when the swans flew, the majestic wings flapping upon the air. They came down suddenly, with a winter dusk, huge and white. All seven of them, dropping from the sky, as if they were huge parcels of snow. The fen in his part of the country was flooded. Icy mud, water mingled amongst the dead reeds, brown and grey. To the west, once again, that sky was bloody when the last streaks of sunset beauty of this time of year. And to the east, wetland, in the dark hours of the day. These lands had seen hunger, empty, groaning bellies were familiar. There had been too much rain. The crops had failed. No fodder for the pigs, no food for the cattle, nothing to sustain families, their clothes too big at the waistband, people cold, children hungry. A swan, a swan would give plenty of meat to feed a family for such a long time, but nobody dared to shoot one. Swans were forbidden. Swans were sacred, perhaps. But nobody knew. Nobody knew why they couldn't kill them, why they couldn't eat them, why they couldn't use the meat from those birds to sustain them for the winter. There were rumours, whispers of a sinister ancient magic. But nobody knew. Nobody remembered, but suspicion was felt, and people didn't dare, except for one of them. A silent young man, with gangling limbs, fingers like twisted branches, with a sour tongue, bitter speech singing on his lips. Mocking eyes, but dark. The sort of dark where you would get lost if you stared in them for too long. A hunter of birds, a fowler. He lived in a little hut, a tumble-down cottage at the edge of the village. One room only, that is all he needed, with a door that opened straight into the marshland with a creek. He liked shooting water birds. 
for food, for sport, for company. Apart from that, he was always alone. In the morning where white wings as white as snow covered the sky and as the swans landed upon the muddy earth, the fowler stepped out. He looked. Regal. They flew. Regally they drifted past him, watching him with their vacant yellow-rimmed eyes. The fowler looked. He reached upon his little tumble-down cottage and got his gun. Went to lie hidden in the cold, damp reeds. He watched them with shallow breathing. He watched them as they swam silently in their water. He glided leaving ripples behind. He watched as magnificent winged creatures. He watched as he too came and shot one of the swans. And an unearthly screech was heard. And the creature killed over to its side. One wing loomed up over the stumps of the reeds, brilliantly white, white as snow, white as bone. The fowler rose with triumph and began to run towards the creature, splashing through the muddy shallows. Closer and closer he went, but before he could reach it, the other swans came at him. Six huge hissing birds, a mass, a mass of beating wings and sharp, prodding beaks. The fowler had left his gun in the reed beds. He couldn't use it. But it did not matter. He had something even better, even stronger, even more powerful. He pulled a hunting knife of heavy iron from his belt. Once the swans withdrew, they waddled backwards and soared from the ground into the air, gracefully flying in the pale December sun, rising slowly in the sky. Only the seventh one, the swan shot, laying on the ground, the lifeless wing was left. The fowler went to it. It was too early and nobody was about. Nobody had seen. Nobody had heard. He thought he would pick up the bird's feathers straight away then take it home for his cooking pot before any of the neighbours found out what he had done. He knew it was wrong and Alva scolded him or even worse begged for a share of it. Now this was his, his swan. But when he reached the swan, he found out it was still alive. Its wing badly hurt, but it breathed shallow breaths, but still squirmed and hissed at him. 
he went and fetched the rope from his hut. Caught the bird in a noose and dragged it home behind him. As he reached the door of his hut, at first he hesitated. But then he hauled the swan into his single room and let it lie by the warmth of the stove. All the way there, the swan had struggled, hissing and writhing, trying to escape that tight rope. But now it lay still, lay limp. The fowler looked and he did not know what to do. He desperately wanted to kill it and eat it, but now it was in his hut, he, some part of him didn't let him part of him with heart. Instead he found his hands reaching to fetch clean water, rags, bandages. He bathed the swan's wounded wing and bound it close to his warm body. He went outside to dispose of the soiled water and the rags and as he was gone the most extraordinary thing happened. He went back inside and, and saw that the wounded swan was no longer there. In its place, a girl, no more than sixteen winters old. Her skin so pale, almost translucent. Her hair, flaxen blonde. Her eyes, watery. Expressionless. She wore a long, plain white dress. Her left arm hung awkwardly, the bandage binding it to her side. The fowler stared at her, numb, eyes transfixed, and she uttered not a word. She looked helpless, vulnerable. In an ist-twisted way, he had an urge to treat her roughly. He grabbed her good hand and tried to force her to serve him as if he were her master, her husband. But she spat and hissed at him, kicking, biting. In the end, he left her alone. She crouched on the floor all night, in the warmest spot in front of the fire, and slept. The next day, the fowler went out shooting other wild birds, doing an odd job here and an odd job there. He locked the hut, left the girl there so she could not escape, could not leave, could not run. When he came back, everything was dirty and messy, just as he had left it. But the fire had gone out. That night again he tried to bend her to his will, but once again failed. She again hissed and kicked and bit and spat. It's too much effort for him. And then that night when the wind came hurling and whirling across the fens in the darkness, there was a wild knocking at the door. He opened it 
and as he looked, he saw six swans rising from the path, startling white against the night sky. He slammed the door against them, turned back to find the girl shaking with an uncanny laughter. The following day, the same wild knock, the door opening six white swans in front of him, the girl laughing uncontrollably. Six days and six nights passed in the same way. On the seventh, he returned home to find the girl's wound had healed. She stood waiting for him in the centre of that little dank room. Her body, her skin, covered from head to toe in white, soft, down feathers. He took a step towards her. She put up a hand to stop him. And as he stared, he fancied that the, the down that covered her was growing. More feathers. And indeed, soon, in a matter of hours, it had become, become a luxuriant coat of feathers. Her long, light hair fell from her head to the floor. Her face elongated. Pale lips became a beak. Her neck grew an arch into an elegant curve. Her body contorted painfully. Her legs shrank. Or webs appeared between her toes. Her arms. Her human arms with five fingers were no more. They were large, beautiful wings. Then the swan girl flew at him with a terrible hiss. Her wing flapped against him sharp as a sailcloth in a strong gale. Her beak poked, pecked. Now she seemed enormous bigger than she was before. He cowered under her power but then pulled open the door and fled into the night. He ran. He ran as quickly as he could. His, wide, his eyes wide open, trying to see into the darkness. The swan girl came after him. And in the shadows... Six other swans rose from the dark path to the fen and flew over to help her. The fowler ran blindly away from them. They followed. All seven majestic swans, snow-white birds, flying regally in a dead silence of the night. Soon the boy had lost the path and found himself wading into the dank marsh water. He looked wherever he looked. The swans were behind him, in front of him, after him, 
in all directions, above, below, everywhere he looked, where he turned, where he walked, only the water, the cold, dark water offered sanctuary. Deeper and deeper he waded into it, flinching from the beating wings, deafened by the endless hissing. Dawn was breaking, the sky gold and orange as a huge bowl of fire rose, enchanted by the singing of birds. Or is it not birds? that sing the sun into rising every dawn. And as dawn was breaking, the seven swans finally rose from the fen, and they circled. They circled the marshes seven times, then flew away into the sunrise. As for the fowler, they found him in the water there where he had landed, his face white, white as bone. And those seven swans, those seven swans still fly, still looking after one another, still feel the air between their powerful wings, and still glide upon the waters. Those seven sisters, the bond between them that could never be broken. There's a slightly more intense story, perhaps darker, but still containing elements of hope and strength, sisterhood and fairness, bonds, wildlife, respect for nature, the wilderness, other creatures, story about taking what's not given, what's not offered, and the consequences of that. There are many ways that you could view the story. There are many themes of which it speaks of. Women's voices, women's strength, and of course swans. The swan has a lot of meaning in Celtic mythology. Swans are seen as having links to the other world. The other world which was reached through mists and hills and lakes and ponds and wetland areas. Through caves and cairns and mounds. And within those realms, the Celtic gods 
resided. There are many other stories and legends about swans in Celtic mythology, a bird full of majesty and beauty, magnificence. There are similar stories across the world. The European stories I know speak of selkies in Scotland, wild seal women taken, this time taken for wives rather than killed, the white wolf from Croatia trying to be subdued and then made a wife. Across the lands these stories are told, stories of feral nature, of wilderness. In this story, the sisters, I think they're sisters, the other six swans come. Come to those that they love, come to the tribe, to take their sister and fly away in the skies, fluttering their big magnificent wings in the wind. As the birds Enchant the sun into rising, as the green grass grows, as the fallow fields sleep, as the snow falls silently to the ground. Those white swans fly, strong and wild. enjoy joining me for these stories. You may wish to join the story community over on Patreon. The details are in the show notes. And thank you to my latest patrons, Pamela, Julia, Marissa. Your support makes such a difference. Thank you. Thank you to the beautiful music composed by Impethus. And I hope to see you soon. Have a wonderful month. And I hope you get to see some swans where you live. Story Apothecary. Until next time.